The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. You know, there's probably never been more nationwide hysteria around the introduction of an animal than what we saw with the snakehead in the early 2000s. And the northern snakehead burst onto the scene and spawned some of the most ridiculous headlines of all time. And there were even sci-fi horror flicks inspired by the air-breathing, dry-land-walking fish from hell. But here we are more than two decades later. The dust has settled, and the snakehead is here to stay. And there is a massive growing interest in their pursuit by anglers. And today's guest is among them. Justin Woodrum of Virginia is always down for a good fight, and the snakehead has got him all wrapped up. And Justin fishes the tidal marshes of Virginia, where there is a stronghold of this unique new fishing quarry, and he is catching some really freaking big ones. This is a fish that strikes with bad intentions, waking on a surface plug or a frog with unparalleled tenacity. And Justin was kind enough to join this podcast to talk about some of the challenges that this fish presents as a unique angling target and as a fish that has just got a very steep hill to climb to gain acceptance. This is Virginia snakehead angler, Justin Woodrum. Anywho. All right, Justin, glad I got you on here. I knew when I started this podcast thing, like I want to deep dive into this snakehead thing. Already did an episode on bullseye snakeheads. But I knew that I wanted to do the northern snakehead because that's kind of like the one here in our country. Like the bullseye snakehead's cool, but the northern snakehead is the one that like got the national media attention and you catch like really, really big ones. So, dude, I just I got to know about these freaking snakeheads. You were out earlier today, weren't you? Yeah, you know, I had a couple hours to kill before the podcast. <laughs> so I figure, you know, let yeah. me go. Uh... Let me go oil the machine and see if I can't go out there and make something happen. And <laughs> just walk in the bank, and there you know, there's a snakehead right up on the bank. Early spring, and I'm tossed a frog and didn't even hesitate. So that was really cool. Oh, nice. So you just got him from sash. the bank. I know, I know I've seen you out there on that like big John boat you got. Yeah. And I think I get a little bit spoiled sometimes, unfortunately, because I got that boat and it opened up so much water. And so many more opportunities of places that people don't usually get to target and access to. So when 
I only have a couple hours and I do go to the bank, you know, it's not as exciting, but in this different sense, it is because, you know, it's a different approach, different obstacles. And, you know, you have a little bit more of a time crunch. So it, it's just different. I don't get as excited as I used to about it because that's all I used to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is cool to go out there for a couple hours and you know, make something happen. I wouldn't think y'all have as much like access from the bank anyway. Like those are much like wilder looking waters. I mean, in South Florida, like I guess the contrast, that'll probably be a theme during this conversation because I'm a Florida guy. I'm used to the bullseye snakeheads. Where it's just like you have miles yeah. of like miles of nice like right. manicured uh grass to walk, but like there's everything's so wild. I wouldn't think you even have as much opportunities to even take a stab at the fish to begin with. Well, and that's another issue is the places that you can fish from shore are the probably most pressured waters that you can yeah. fish in Virginia. But maybe I mean I, there's a lot of pressure down in South Florida, too, but I wanted to say the East Coast, but that's definitely not the case. But definitely in like the, the DC metropolitan area, I mean the, the places that you're fishing from shore are just it's all day, all night. People are hammering, which hammering them, which is you know it's tough, but it makes you a little bit more proud when you do connect at the same time. Well, I guess that also kind of speaks to the growing popularity of the fish and we'll get into that, but you know, I know you mentioned it's, you know, early spring, this and that y'all scenes a little different because you have, you have seasons. Whereas with us, we can pretty much chase the fish just about all year round. What is the season for a snakehead in Virginia? Like, I don't know, like, like when does this, when does it really begin to pick up there? So, I mean, if it's really weather dependent, so, you know, we have warm winters. There's people that do catch them in, let's say, December. If we get a week of warm spell where it's 70 degrees out. But for the most part, it's late February if it's warm. March March is when it really starts taking off. And well into, I would say, November is about when it shuts down. Like that towards the end of November. And like people really aren't catching them in December, January, February when it's 30 degrees outside. They're, yeah. I mean, they're mud, they're hunkered down. It, it's just, it's not happening for the most part. I mean, people will catch them. I don't want to say, but if you're going to go out there and you're thinking you're going to have a 20 fish day in December, I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess when it comes to when, any conversation about like a snakehead is not without its controversy or like, you know, skeptics. So it's like, I always oh got to go back to the beginning with somebody who, who, because with you in particular, like when I scroll down your Instagram page, it becomes like immediately clear that you're like deeply, like you're in deep on this snakehead thing. Like they, they've got you yeah. all, they've got you snake bit. Like you're all, you're all in it. But then I look at somebody yeah, like bad. you, I'm like, I'm like, where did that start? I mean, when, when did you start getting interest in snakeheads? How did that begin? So for me, it's a little bit interesting because, so, I mean, I'm 24 years old and I would say snakeheads have probably only been around in our waters about that long. So I kind of grew with them and grew up with that whole sensation, you know, these fish got to go. Mm -hmm. So my initial inclination growing up was like, okay, yeah, these, these fish got to go. And so when I first started targeting them, you know, I was like, everybody, and their mothers at the time. It was we're out there with bows. We're trying to shoot them. We're trying the yeah. days. We're trying to shoot them at night. And you know, I, I did that for like three years. And you know what? I never shot a single snakehead. 
never shot a single one. In fact, I probably <laughs> only saw two. And after all that time, I probably did that for like three years, never seeing or shooting one. I saw a ton of blue cats. Mm. And then I started putting two and two together. And I'm like, you know, these fish are so bad, bad like everybody's saying. Why aren't I seeing any? You know, I'm going to every creek and our river and I can't see one. You know, that's a little bit, it, it got me thinking a little bit. You know, maybe this isn't what it's made out to be. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think that, from I, there, I started taking out a little John boat with a motor. I mean, I'm just thinking like at, at some point you end up catching one on a rod and reel. Was that on purpose or was it an, like an accidental catch? I mean, I, I kind of made it a mission of mine. Like I need to catch one of them. Like, I can't shoot them. I'm not seeing any. So I need to take a different approach. So a couple of buddies of mine, uh, Jim and Bryson, we got out on a John boat, electric motor, 12 volt battery. Yeah. And we just <laughs> hit it hard. And still for probably another three to four years, we never caught one or saw one. <laughs> and doing doing everything that everybody wants says to do, you know, go back in the creeks, throw a chatterbait, throw a frog, you know, and then then it was at that point I'm like, okay, these fish really aren't decimating populations. I, I've been at this for six years and I still haven't caught one. Yeah, that's funny. You know, maybe it's not what it's meant to be. Uh, yeah. Well, that's it's almost like a letdown in a weird way because you get conditioned. At least I I remember like vividly when they first burst onto the scene in like 2001. Uh gosh, how old was I then? 13. I was fishing at the time. Uh I was just getting into it and I remember when they started talking about these snakeheads all in the news. They can walk on dry land. They can like jump over levees yeah they're attacking people biting people that are swimming they reproduce uh, you know out of control and eat everything in their path i'm like jesus these things are bad news these things are these things are terrible so then when i finally got the chance to go chase one i was like they gotta go i was thinking these things are gonna just murder my lure if i get anywhere near one it's going to just demolish whatever i threw and i was so like surprised how I mean, a lot of it's because I don't know what the hell I was doing trying to catch them, but I, I it, they just I very quickly like dispelled this idea that they're these bloodthirsty killers that are easy to catch that are just going to eat everything in their path because I struggled. I like couldn't I couldn't catch them. You had hardly draw a bite, and then yeah. when I did draw the bite, especially with the northern snakeheads, I feel like them more so than the bullseyes, like. It, and some of this because I'm a shitty topwater fisherman. I just get m- missing on the bites. But like, I don't know. Their bites like doesn't have the same follow through. Like I could like they kept missing the lures. Like they would hit like three it feet doesn't. behind the lure. Yeah, and sometimes I think they're a little bit finicky and special sometimes. And yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, they're just they're very skittish from what I've seen and. You know, like you said, people made it like they're you get within them, they're gonna come charge your boat. And that's how they were made out to be. Like they're gonna try and poke holes, eat your boat, or eat your dog. But you know, I'm over here fishing for them or trying to when I first started. And, you know, it's what I see is a snakehead, like maybe 40 yards away, and I, you know, I shuffle a little bit in my boat and then it's gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean that's not bloodthirsty ravaging you know, decimating populations to me. I mean, that seems like a little bit. No, I've seen the same thing. It's like, you know, that's just my experience. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed the same thing. And our bullseye snakes are kind of the same way. It's like, it, if you see them, it's too late. And they're like, they're scared. They're skittish. Yeah, they're, they're easily spooked. You can't really get the jump on them. You almost have to make a long cast because they're afraid of everything. But, um, but we're not talking about bullseye snakeheads and I don't want to hijack the conversation. So you're catching these things in Virginia. And so just, I don't know, man, just kind of describe like where you're finding them. What environments do these things live in? What are they eating? Like what is like, if you're going to set out on a day of snakehead fishing, what uh, elements are you looking for? Like what is the ideal, I don't know, environment or, or circumstance if you're going to go and try to catch these things? So around here, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. You could go fish a very urban environment, you know, flip boat docks and fish marinas, or you can really get into some fairly remote places, you know, not too far from D.C. Or you can catch them in D.C. themselves itself. I've done that before, too. A lot of people do that. So it's kind of a unique fish in that sense where it depends on what you want, but there's also a lot of factors to consider. I mean, you got to consider tide time of year, weather. Um, I found that particularly sunny days aren't the best. And, and what I've found with that is since they are very skittish, they like to hide. And if, if there's a lot of sun out, they feel very exposed and they're not going to be moving around or swimming, following lures. And you got to have a very delicate approach. So I'm not really... You know, I'm a, I guess, a, a ground and pound kind of fisherman at heart. I like to just cover water. And, you know, if they're in that little skittish mood, I'm going to try and avoid those nice days. Um, I say it all the time to people. It's like you give me a, a day where there's thunderstorms in the afternoon or, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> rain. I'm in. Sign me up. And a lot of that is because there's less pressure. But a lot of that is I think the fish, in particular snakehead, are really sensitive to low pressure systems. And this is all my speculation, but they have a very long air bladder. It goes like from their, basically the back of their head, almost to their tail. And so the barometric pressure is, I mean, they're very sensitive to it. So okay, that, Yeah, that's interesting. I think that that kind of makes sense for a lot of those, I don't know, ambush style predators. Mm -hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, like this is a type of fish that like it wants to be near or in or around like heavy cover, heavy vegetation, right? Is that true yeah. or? Yeah, and it, it, they don't want to be out in the open. Like if you're, um, you know, a lot of bass, you can catch them out in the middle of a creek mouth or something. I mean, and you can do that with snakeheads, but for the most part, they want to be in in the grass, in the hydrilla, around logs, um, something. Because they're ambush predators, not out there crushing shad balls or yeah any of that nonsense so i mean it is a very delicate fishing but if you can find a low pressure system i find that they do rise to the surface a little bit because i think they're a little bit more sensitive to it it's a working theory you know i'm still learning this and i think a lot of people still are i don't want to come out and say like this is the gold standard but if i were to pick a day it's going to be a rainy day you know low pressure yeah. system kind of day and and what does tide have to do with it with that because that side of it's a little weird i remember you know experiencing some of that when i came up to virginia to try it for myself it's like it seemed like a lot of things hinged upon the tide but i mean what does that have to do with how do, how does the tide benefit are you looking for a high tide a dropping tide dead tides i mean mm -hmm. what are you what, what what's the optimal condition with regards to tide well let me ask you a question what time did uh the year did you come i know it was sometime what, late 
last summer. Is that what I saw? I've come up there three times, and I'm I don't actually remember. It's always been hot. That's all I know. Uh, like the middle of the summer. But I know that I was so yeah, I fished. Yeah. I fished with Josh Dolan and Grant Alvis, and both of them were pretty pretty convinced that a dropping tide or a low tide is what you want. Has that been your observation too? Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with that. I think yeah, depending on the year or time of year, I should say. I, I know that's my observation too. I think the fish do like to get since they're ambush predators when the tide is high. They're going back into all the emergent vegetation. They're in stuff that you can't really fish. And you can hear them in the pads just or deep in the spatter dock, like 50 yards back from the creek. And, you know, you hear them popping, you hear yeah. them crossing stuff, but there's nothing you can do about it until that tide starts coming out. And it pushes all the fish out from all that vegetation and gross stuff that you're just unable to fish. So when that tide is coming out, you can kind of catch them at that vegetation's edge and they kind of pile up a little bit better versus, you know, shooting in the dark in some spatter dock for that's like, you know, a hundred yards long. I mean, it's, yeah. your chances of connecting with something in that is just, it's virtually nothing. Well, my, that, it's almost like a convenient thing that you can, you can, I don't know, you can use the tide to your advantage. Cause yeah, that's sort of like what we noticed. It was like when the tide was, was down like to your point it flushed them out of all the hiding places and it just makes sense i mean for an ambush predator as well because they're going to use the tide for the same reason that, like the same reason that we use the tide to chase the snakeheads is the reason that the snakeheads probably use the tide to wait on it to flush i don't know it's like killifish and things like that right it's probably yeah. pulling a lot yes. of the a lot of the food that they would want to catch is being pushed down to them right and that's another factor as well as all those little bait fish are all up in the you know the water that's you know a few a few hundreds and they're stacking up at those ambush points and then you can capitalize on that as well as the tide's going out but um me personally i don't like to always stick to just the outgoing tide i think that you know sometimes that only limits you to half a day's worth of fishing yeah and me and some of my friends we've kind of made it a point to try and capitalize on what other people aren't doing and capitalize on, you know, areas that aren't necessarily in most people's minds, you know, uh, beneficial to the fishing. So like a lot of people look at Northern state get fishing and they're like, okay, got to be on a descending tide. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. But I've also found that an incoming tide, you can also have equally as good success, but it's not going to be in the conventional areas that I would say almost everybody is fishing. Yeah, so you have to have a different approach during that time, but you can capitalize. Yeah, that's interesting. It's funny because you know it, you get similar things here with our bullseye snakeheads. Uh, granted, it's two different species; they live in completely different kinds of environments. There's a lot but of I, yeah, yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. But I know uh, a lot of people, myself included, kind of get stuck on you know just throwing frogs, like just always throw frogs bomb long cast parallel to like a, a shoreline. And, and if that doesn't work, don't really know what to do, but um, you know, guys like, uh, like Corey. Yeah. The most fun. <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's the most fun. It's probably the most easiest way, Yeah, but you know, somebody like, like Corey here in, in South Florida, that dude, like he, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's weird when there's like levels to fishing that are like very clear and apparent because I've gone after the bullseye snake so many times. 
And I, uh, at best, I'll get like five in a day mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that. And I can never find the giant ones. Whereas this guy will go out and catch 40 in a day, 30 in a day, multiple over 10 pounds. Yeah. And, but he's not throwing a lot of frogs. He's fishing sometimes like 15 feet of water, flipping and like jigging like you would for a bass. So he uses a lot of techniques that somebody like me, if the frog doesn't work, I just kind of give up. But um, yeah, I think you're right. You you have to sort of adapt as an angler. I think the fish adapt to the fishermen, the fish with the pressure and stuff. So it's like you you have to start doing something different. But I agree with what you're saying 100 percent. Yeah. And I've noticed that. I mean, we have just so many different kinds of pressure. And I think the general consensus is go to the backs of the creeks, fish the shallow water, do X, Y, and Z back there, throw a frog, do this. But, you know, you also have all those fishermen doing the same thing. You have bow fishing pressure. You have guides that are going out there and doing all the same things. So I try to make it a point that, you know, if someone says, okay, in this creek, go to the very back. I'm going to do the opposite. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm going to go to, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's because I'm stubborn and hard, headed, but that's just who I am. I'm going to go to a, f- a flat. I'm going to go to a cove all the way where, you know, no one would think to fish and where I find a lot of fish, a lot of unpressured fish that are willing to commit and commit hard. And that's where really I find most of my success in the unconventional places. I think that snake heads are becoming more stagnant, more pressure that they are going to be found in places that they haven't necessarily been um, in years past. And I'm noticing that trend year after year as I keep fishing for them, interestingly yeah. enough. Well, I think people are going to have to start doing something beyond just throwing a frog, especially like, because this is like a fish that has like gone crazy with popularity in just like the last 10 years, like probably more mm-hmm. than any other species I can think of, at least with regards to freshwater. Like they have exploded onto the scene where like there's big groups online and just like, I don't know, there's some diehard snakehead fishing groups. Um, so I, I think it's just, I don't know, man, the pressure is going to demand that people start doing things differently. But, um, but I'm interested in people's like gear, yeah, you know, I like, keep like, hearing, well, I keep hearing that people are saying, Oh, I'm catching less and less of them every year, but here you are year after year doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different mm-hmm. results. Yeah, well, you see that across the board in a lot of kinds of fishing. Like people, oh, yeah, will, you see that in all kind of fish. Yeah, p- people will pound the same spot their whole life, and then get bitter and talk about how great things used to be. I'm like, I, you have to adapt. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. it's, you have to evolve as an angler. <laughs> fishing used to be so great. Like I mean, just, no. yeah, it, you like maybe yeah, if you got into this whole thing thinking that you're going to be able to do the same thing your whole life, like, and you're not going to have to grow and get better, you're you're crazy. You can't do that in anything in life. So, yeah, it's yeah, 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 the only thing that's nuts. Is change, and you have to. Adapt. Yeah, well, y'all's water is so much different. Like for me, that was like a big part of like what what I enjoyed most about coming up to Virginia. The water's so wild. Like I remember we went out to places like you felt like you were in a different country. I know houses, no buildings, no sign of like everything looked the way it was when the country was like colonized. And I thought that that side of it was so refreshing and so cool because like here in South Florida, and I was joking about this with Corey on our, on our episode about the bullseye snakeheads. I was like, I can't go to any of these canals where these snakeheads live and not find frogs in the trees 
frogs like on the bank, frogs floating by in the canal. Like yeah. the fish are just like you know, among other things, crack pipes and you know shopping carts. So it's like <laughs> a totally, <laughs> totally no, no. different scene. No, no, no. But I Stop. did like that out there. It's uh, I don't know. It's like, but but it's so much nicer. But I know that that's changing. Which is unfortunate because the fish are just getting like, I think it's getting to a point now, right? My, I think I'm a good case in point. I came from a long way just to catch those things. And I think that your area and those areas are going to start seeing that a lot more. So it's like, it demands that you start doing something to get out, get out ahead of it. Cause those folks are going to show up throwing frogs. They're going to do like me. They're going to show up throwing like yeah. the elementary level approach to catching the snakeheads. Well, yeah. And it's almost become I think South Florida has had that same effect too in their freshwater canals as well. But I mean, there's only a few places that you can go catch a northern snakehead. I mean, Maryland, Virginia. So people are traveling from all over. The tra- I see every week on Facebook, it's, you know, oh, I'm trailering my boat down from Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> you know, can anyone help me out and this and that? So, I mean, people are starting to catch on and you do have to do stuff differently. I've tried to make a point, you know, every season I'm picking out some new some new baits some new gear to test out and see how they fare and i'm like really diligently trying i'm not just you know you throw it on you take a few casts you're like all right screw it this one's not gonna work for me i'm like really trying to make an effort to explore different stuff because i mean the chatter baits the frogs it's all fine and dandy but it only takes you so far as an angler and in the future is i mean if everyone's throwing it you know what it what really separates you and that's how those little things i think is how what separates people catching a stickhead versus you know catching a double digit one almost every time they go out yeah and then like so the nature of the fishing like is this a fish where when once you find one like you've 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 found them like now you can work this area like they're all going to be there or is, uh, I mean, like, are they schooling up like a bass? Like, you know, or is it more like, I don't know, you catch one, you got to keep moving. Like, what is the nature of the pursuit of the fish? Like, what, you know, is it like, okay, uh, here's the spot. They're, they're all going to be here. Well, I mean, because, because like, I mean, when I think like a frog, like that's a real fast paced lure. Can you, can you afford to slow down and throw like, I don't know, a Texas rig worm? And like really pick apart like the mats of grass, or is that just gonna make me? A, you're gonna be in for a long day if you do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're gonna be in a long day for, for a long day, but you're gonna catch fish. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I've had days where it's that is the case. Sometimes you got to throw on a weightless something or a, a Texas rig and really just take slow. But other times you can find an area. And I don't want to say they school, but once you find an area where there is one snakehead, there's going to be more there. It's very rare that there's only going to be that one. And they're not moving in packs. They're not hunting in packs. But you can you can count on if you find one that there's going to be a bunch more there. And I've heard this argument where it's if you catch a snakehead in one area, you got to keep going because you're not going to catch another one 10 yards down the line, which I found is not the case. I mean, if you, you catch one right here, you might have to wait. You might have to be a little bit more patient, let the fish reset, but yeah, they're going to be there. I think it seems like yeah. if the, um, if the resources, like the food resources are abundant enough, they're probably not going to mind the presence of other ones being around. You know what I mean? Like, and that was another thing I noticed, like on my trips up to Virginia, like I, I would throw a frog and in the wake that the frog made, there was like showers 
of like little minnows. Like it seemed like there was yeah. so much like like I don't know, there's so much like food in the water. Like these little I guess they're like killifish or something. We'd be paddling and like there would be in the kayak, like jumping into the kayak. I'm like, there's so much food for these snakeheads. Like that there's no way that they're like uh, I don't know, taking up the resources, eating everything to where nothing else can survive. There was, I couldn't believe how much food there was. And so I guess in an environment like that, it makes more sense that they'd be willing to be near each other, especially if it's in an area that like all the, I mean, what are they mostly eating? I think that's an important question. Like what are snakeheads eating? I think some people think they're going out of their way and like eating bass and they're eating bluegill. Like, what are they, what is like your observation? Like, what is their preferred thing that they're trying to eat? So, I mean, from the data that, you know, Virginia has collected and from my experience, it looks like they're opportunist feeders, but their main food source are going to be those little killifish, the, you know, the little minnows or whatever people want to call them. Um, so they're eating those the biggest by number. And then by mm-hmm. weight, it seems that it's bluegill. So they're finding, you know, they're finding their largemouth bass, they're finding yellow perch, white perch in their bellies. But I mean, you could also say the same thing for largemouth. I mean, largemouth, they're out there crushing white perch, yellow perch, bluegill, shad. I mean, you name it, other fish are eating it too. And my observation is there's no shortage of bait out there. And the amount of predators that are out there from bass, Catfish. I mean, I, I know you saw all the blue cats out there. It's amazing that there is yeah, that much that, forage that part out there. That, that part's unbelievable. And we can talk about that in a little bit because I I mean that's a nightmare scenario. When I saw that, I'm like, this is hell. This sucks. Like I because I and I have no shame yeah. in saying I use a lot of bait. Like when I do like bowfin fishing, I like bait, I like sitting on chunks of bait. I feel like that like it's relaxing to me. It's something I mean, I'll do it with lures too, but it's like yeah, that's not even an option there. It's like you almost it can't be done with those blue cats. But we'll go down that rabbit hole in a little bit. But um, I think it's an important topic to talk about what those snakeheads are eating because there's like this prevailing thought that they, you know, they eat everything and they eat a lot of it. But I don't know when you sit back and kind of like think logically about it. Like if this is a species of fish that. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, because I'm kind of talking out my ass. I've only been up there a couple of times. But it's, <laughs> no, it's, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll jump in, but you're on the right yeah, track. Yeah, I think that they're similar enough to a bowfin, just like not necessarily in their behaviors, but like what they prefer environmentally, like that they spend like more of the season in shallow weeds, whereas the bass spin, you know, maybe early spring up in there for spawning reasons but i there's it doesn't seem like there's a lot of crossover between the amount of time that bass are are spinning in the same area as a, as a snakehead it's like i think that they exist in passing yeah, right. but i don't think they're overlapping each other for a long period of time if i'm not wrong so it's like i don't think they're no that and like the resource like the again this is anecdotal like there was so much food in the water they're they're compete they're not even competing they're they're sharing a very abundant and small resource of bluegill white perch at best and then those killifish yeah. i'm like man like you can drop another couple of predators in here and i just don't think that 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 the resource of food's going to get depleted in any way shape or form but uh i don't know the idea right. that go ahead I tend to agree with you. I mean, 
I think, and this is, I'm, I'm no scientist. I don't want to claim again to be the, the voice of the snakehead fishing, you know, but I think in my observation is that they found a little bit of their own niche in the ecosystem that wasn't preoccupied by something else. Like, yes, like you said, I mean, they have a little bit of a crossover in the spring with bass spawning, but even then, you know, the bass are spawning, you know, in five to 10, maybe a little bit deeper water. And it, mm-hmm. But the, by that point, the snakeheads are already in a foot of water. So they're, yeah. they're already past that point. If they're not in a foot of water. They're looking to find that one to two feet of water. So they're already past the bass at that point. And then midsummer when it, the water temperature is 90 degrees, I mean, you're not really, you're finding a lot of bass, but you're not, the majority of them aren't in a foot or two foot of water. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is, you know, I don't know, the Northern snakeheads one that like, they're so like, they have the eye appeal. It's such a badass looking so, fish. So cool. Yeah. So that like, I wanted to like learn more about them, but like I was reading some real interesting things about the fish. And again, these, these case studies, it's, you never know, like some people make a study because they have an agenda or need to prove themselves right, or they need funding from government agencies. And, you know, so it's like, they kind of tailor the results of the studies based on, <laughs> I don't know, other things. But uh, one that I read, I don't remember who it was by. It's very interesting. It was saying that basically like when a northern snakehead like first, like, I don't know, gets introduced or finds its way into a new area that it hadn't been mm-hmm. before, they sort of like proliferate quickly. They like explode onto the scene. Then it's like it, it uh, plateaus and then takes a sharp decline. Because it it's like our native fish, I don't know, like once they adapt to the presence of them, they they become they overcome them. And it makes sense because when I think about like as badass as a snakehead looks and behaves, it seems to me like a largemouth bass is just a way more like efficient predator. They'll travel in schools, they'll move into deeper water, into shallow water. They they're they're like, I don't know, they seem like a more well rounded. Yeah. And, and, um, so I was reading that, like that the largemouth and the snakeheads aren't really spawning congruently, like not, it's not at the same time. So if it's offset, you know, it was, I, I was reading, and this makes a lot of sense based on the first time that I went there, it was saying that the largemouth figure out very quickly that they can overwhelm, you know, the male and the female that are on the fry ball. Like if they just bomb in there, they just overwhelm them and they're eating the hell out of the snakehead fry. The first year that I came up there and did it, we kept catching bass. I'm like, shit, I didn't come all the way up here to go bass fishing. And some of these bass kept spitting up snakehead fry. I'm like, this, like, this totally, like... (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Yeah, this this blows the narrative out of the water. These bass are kicking the shit out of these snakeheads. I'm like, that's interesting. And so I'm thinking, like, you know, between the bass and the blue catfish and, I don't know, maybe a little bit the guard, like other things like that. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like nature's way of like keeping the balance or, or, or keeping them contained. But, um, I thought that was so interesting to see. And I, and I'm, well, I I think mean, you're, you're there all the year. The time, so I'm just kind of curious, like what you've seen. At, yeah, out I think of that. a lot of the times, well, I think like you said, I mean, these fish, the native fish, they don't know what to do with these snakeheads for the first, you know, maybe seven, 10 years that they're in the population. But once they fi- figure out, okay, these fry are bright orange, bright yellow. They're yeah. coming to the surface every 30 seconds for a breath of air. I mean, that's like a, a beacon for eat me, eat me in the fish world. And then they don't have any fins in a sense that 
you know, like a white perch, you hold a white perch and that thing's like a knife, man. That shit's dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a yellow yeah. perch, that thing, you hold it wrong. It might cut you pretty, hard. you know, that's not appealing to a largemouth bass or a blue cat necessarily, but you have a little snake head fry that doesn't have any sharp dorsal fins or really any way of protecting itself. I mean, that's just they'll slurp those things down all day, you know, right. even up into they grow, a little grow, maybe like 12 inches in a year. But that first year, I mean, they're super vulnerable to everything. Birds, mostly other fish, but even birds get into the mix of that mm-hmm. as well. I mean, that first year being a snakehead is not pretty. So, but after that first year, I mean, as with any other fish, once you get over, you know, 12 inches, it's hard for, you know, anything else to touch you making it, to that year mark and past the 12 inches, I I would say it's very tough for those little guys. Yeah. Well, I think that also kind of like speaks to what we mentioned earlier. Like it behooves you to stay proactive in your pursuit of the snakehead. Like don't be like, this is my go-to spot. Your go-to spot's going to suck in five years. Like it, you, you need to continue to like, yeah, it's almost like you'd almost want to be, I don't know, depending on how like deeply entrenched in the snakehead thing is. I would be out there looking for areas that don't necessarily even have them yet, but like have a high potential of getting them soon. And like, you know, you want to be there when the real big blooms happen. But um, it's interesting. It's like, it seems like that the population maybe isn't necessarily growing. It's just moving. But uh, I don't know. It's just, it's way different than what we see here because our bullseyes are so contained. They're contained by environmental factors, like, like a temperature thresholds. Like it's either it's either too cold, it's too hot. They can't get over certain levees. They can't get past the dams. They can't get past a pump station. There's everything's been like you know it's just not the natural environment that they live in down here. It's just they're 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 like really like they got one spot and they ain't moving. But up there, I don't know. It's like it shifts around. There's way more factors for them to have to contend with. Yeah, and that's, and a lot of people are moving them too. But I mean, for the most part, they're just moving on their own. They're moving down rivers into the Chesapeake Bay and into other rivers and creeks that they weren't in in years past. And something me and my friend Bryson do is, you know, we get on our, we snoop on Facebook and see, you know, what new creeks have people caught them in. And then, you know, we have a little bit of a list going and I can't say all the creeks on it, but, you know, it's like, okay, (laughs) we know that like two or three have been caught in this creek or this lake as of, let's say, 2022. So, you know, okay, we'll set a little bit of a reminder you know five years from now six years from now yeah <laughs> playing the long game a little bit like that's when the, the population peaks okay that's where we need to be there we need to make a point to get there we find out okay we look back in the archives and we find out in this river that they've been there for about eight years now it's like okay we gotta go there we gotta go there because that's when the population's peaked that's like the best fishing that you'll find because everything after that is about it they start to level out with the environment and things start to find that little equilibrium and balance. So you do have to kind of keep tabs on it because I guess in the business world, it's like emerging markets. I think I'm no economist, but I think that's yeah, like yeah. <laughs> what I would call some of these rivers that are getting populated with snakeheads and newly. So I try to keep tabs on all that information too, and create a little bit of a list of places to keep an eye out of. Now, and I know, I don't know, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I know you said you've, you know, really only been chasing them for a certain period of time so maybe you can't speak to this side of it but on the you know on the flip side have you noticed any like impact i wouldn't say measurable because it's not like you're out there taking like i don't know specimen samples or you know anything like that but have you have you seen that like if the snakeheads are really heavy populated in an area that 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 there's no bass 
or like have you uh, what i'm trying to get at is that have you noticed they're having like a negative impact on other you know more popular native species or has it impacted like if you wanted to go out and go bass fishing right now mm-hmm. do you think that you would right. be hampered by the presence of the snakeheads at all and you know i think that's a tough question because in virginia where, where i fish I don't think that's an issue. I haven't ran into that issue. I don't know other people that have ran into that issue. And that's for tidal, the tidal rivers and for lakes. But I mean, that's not to say that they might find themselves in, you know, a cypress swamp and they might decimate everything. I mean, and there's always that risk. I mean, there's not going to be a one size fit all just because it works for Virginia and the Chesapeake Bay means it's going to work for North Carolina or uh, some other place of that nature, you know, and I think that's something that people should consider and take seriously. I mean, we got it pretty good over here, but let's not push the, let's not push it. It's not, you know, reintroduce them into other areas and make it worse for those environments. Cause it, it could be sensitive for some places. We just don't know right now. I mean, all the data and all the science, it's only 20 years old effectively. I mean, that's not a whole lot of time. I mean, that's a, a millisecond in the grand scheme of things. So. Yeah, I think it should be taken seriously, although I haven't really seen that myself. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times people moving them. Has that been like an issue up there? Like, are there people that are taking these things and intentionally like stocking their own little ponds? And like, I don't know, you've mentioned it enough times that I'm like, well, you know, what is he? Y'all have y'all had problems with people doing that? I mean, there are people that will. I mean, sometimes people got to drive two hours to go get to waters that even have snake edge where they got a lake right down the road. So, or, a community pond and so they're bringing them catching a few and then bringing them over to the ponds and bringing them over to the lakes and so that's how you find a lot of these these lakes that you know are in the mountains um i mean they got snakeheads yeah. it was like how how do people think that happened i mean it's my guess that people are moving them i you know that's sad i mean i i don't know i i get where people like they love the fish it's a lot of fun but I don't know. We we get similar things here in Florida, like a lot. I mean, our our, our like yeah, ecos- yeah. <laughs> our ecosystem's been so jacked up. People are taking fish, moving them all over the place. I fished with a guy last year that mentioned doing it. He like he himself was like, oh, I was like, he's like, uh, I've actually got a couple in the pond down the road from my house. Like, the guy lives over here in Fort Myers. I'm like, dude, like don't. I mean. I love catching the snakeheads here, but it's like, let's not get stupid with it. Like, you're the one that's going to ruin it for yeah. everybody. Like, when we start playing little games, like, I am all for promoting them as a worthy fish to go chase. Because at some point, and this is always a good conversation to have, because you're going to have people who are, are going to, you know, say, you know, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you promoting this non-native fish? Uh, and, and I, maybe I'd wonder, you yeah, probably I mean, get a lot more. Yeah. You, you get it a lot more than I do. I'm sure here in Florida, they've, everybody's already mm-hmm. accepted that, you know, people are very accepting of the non-native fish here. It's just part of the fishing culture, but up there, I'm sure you get it a lot. I mean, how do you handle when somebody says, you know, Justin, you know, this is ridiculous. Those things are harmful to the environment. How could you like, you know, care about the environment and then in the, in the same breath still, I don't know, condone this exotic invasive species. Like what the hell are you doing? Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's complicated. I get it. I get, I've been on the other side of the fence. So I know kind of how to cross that bridge with people and try to bring them over, but it's hard. People don't, 
want to be swayed that their opinion is wrong as with life. I mean, that's just how people operate, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, it can be challenging because people that that don't fish for them every day, or maybe even never caught one. Those are the people that are always the ones who have the most, but (laughs) never caught one or targeted them. They used to somebody from a different part of the country. (laughs) (laughs) But you've never even been here. You have no idea what you're talking about. Anyways. I mean, what I try to do, I try, try to be diplomatic <laughs> and i've yeah. gotten a little bit better with that oh, yeah. i used to be that you know i'm gonna just argue with you but right. I, I just try to get the facts you know like here here's a video of you know john odenkirk here's a video of this uh another biologist laying out the facts and i don't know what more i can do for you i mean i'm giving you what i see out there the biologist is telling you yeah things are looking okay out there and that's about all i can do and for the most part people will say okay i kind of look at that differently but then you also have those people who are just arguing for the sake of arguing mm-hmm. <laughs> never going to take you seriously so those people i just try to not even get with anymore unfortunately which sucks because i do love the fish i think a lot of people will love them if they give them a chance so I try to be patient with them, but you know, sometimes it's difficult. And I'm sure there's some people who are like, Oh, I hate bowfin. We got to kill all of the bowfin or which, you know, how do you feel about that? Is it's a similar situation. I mean, you see people yeah. out there and dead. In the bank. It's like, buddy, those have been around since the dinosaurs. What are we doing, man? Right. That, um, at least I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that has like shifted over time. I've been chasing bowfin since I was, 13 i'm 36 now and uh i don't know dude i i remember as as far as that goes like i remember when it was like it was hard to find somebody that was going to be accepting of them now i feel like most people are okay with a bowfin that that's at least changed but it's an easier sell because it's a native species like you can win that battle the snakehead it it will always have to overcome the non-native thing much like a carp I actually even think worse, more more so than a carp, they'll have a hard time. But, you know, I've had the same arguments with people. I, I try to stay away from it, too, especially if it's an Internet war. If it's a person who who's face to face, normally you can you can wear them down with intellect and like, I don't know, you can kind of dominate yeah. their personality a little bit. On the Internet, a little jackass can be like macho man. And then they have the easy escape route. They can just, you know, click a button, and be gone. But um, in person, sometimes I'll entertain the debate. The good thing is when it, when it comes with like snakeheads, when I've had these arguments with people, you can usually hit them with like one irrefutable fact that they can't get past. And that is there is no chance in hell, no amount of money, no amount of government intervention. You could send a hundred million people to the river for 10 years to yeah, dedicate they are going nowhere yeah, they'll not, not never be gone so like if you can at least like let's start with that like let's establish that right off the bat this fish will yeah. never be gone so now that we've established like, if we can get them to agree to that which is usually pretty easy they, they it ain't going anywhere it is impossible to get rid of them and once they agree to that then you begin to question well then why kill them what have you accomplished what have you done other than taking food out of that one's mouth and putting it into another one's mouth you've done nothing and so then yeah. it's like okay well do we really and not want... even most of the game species yeah. you fish for or 
yeah, you have to like, you have to really like, you know, you hit them with that part to where they're, they're going to have an internal struggle and question themselves. And then like, I don't know that that plants a certain seed right. and for the most part. It's it, it normally won't graduate to the point of hitting them with like scientific evaluations and shit like that. Like it won't that you'll you have to hit them with the with the inescapable fact that, that they're not going to go anywhere. So then you question. You so then to. why are you yeah. killing that one? What have you accomplished other than it makes you feel you have done nothing? Then it's like, do you really want to spend like you want the government taking like t- tax dollars or what have you? to embark on these massive missions that are going to be a hundred percent futile, wasting your money to go try to chase something and, and accomplish nothing. You want to dump poison in the, like in the water to get rid of what, what is, so at some point, you know, if you, you have to like accept that one, that they're not going anywhere, then you begin to pitch the sporty qualities of them as, you know, or you can talk about, you know, eating them, but I don't know, dude, it's like, and usually I'll end the conversation at that point because it's like not worth the effort. You plant a seed and let them go, I don't know, go crazy in their mom's basement somewhere. And that's, <laughs> all, I, that's all I try to do too is I try to let them know like, hey, like this is what it is. You're not going anywhere. You can get rid of them. Do you want to have a little bit of fun or not? Yeah. <laughs> well, know? the good thing is if if the detractor leave in, it in, let yeah. them go. If the person that, that pushes if the person that pushes back on you should happen to end up in your boat. I feel like that's an, that's when you can really win them over because a lot of times you just show them, I don't know, uh, the, show them the reality of the experience and, and then, you know, then you win. But nine times out of 10, these arguments are happening on the internet. So it's like, they just don't even go down that road. But, uh, you know, I'm always curious because like you're, you're chasing a fish that needs a voice but it's an uphill battle. So I always like to hear like, cause you're, you're obviously like a diehard snakehead guy. So I know that you feel passionate about this fish. Like you've got to have that quick, like sales pitch to somebody could be somebody that's even open-minded, which is probably easier. Somebody that's like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll go try. I like catching bass. I'm a bass fisherman. Bass are the best. But if you're going to like sell somebody on the idea of going to chase a Northern snakehead, I don't know. What do you normally throw at them? I mean, so my approach and my favorite way to target them is sight fishing. Yeah. So I mean, it's, a lot of people aren't going to like with snakehead fishing, but it's almost, I would compare it to like sight fishing, redfish on a flat. I mean, that's mm-hmm. exciting. That's like when I pitch that to people, they have a little bit more of a different outlook on it. And I kind of compare the two. I'll show them some videos. Like I'm in crystal clear water most of the time or just slightly stained water. I'm standing on top of a Yeti 45. I'm using my sunglasses and you get, you got to almost make it look like you're in a, like a Patagonia catalog <laughs> type of deal. But I mean, that's like, that's how I roll. I mean, I, I'm on top of a Yeti 45. I'm most of the time, unless I'm no I'm in a spot with snakeheads, I'm not even casting. I'm just moving around real slow. I'm looking for a fish. I'm pitching a frog, I'm pitching whatever, and then I'm teasing them to bite my frog. And you can watch the fish the entire way. So when you kind of explain that sport fishing aspect to them and the excitement that that brings, and you're like, oh my God, the fish is following, the fish is following, you got to do is change up the pace of your frog, you got to pop, you got to pause, you got to burn it, you got to do all these things. And it, it, it changes something in people. It goes, it 
changes it from looking at a fish that's detrimental to the environment, something that's killing all these species, whatever, yeah. whatever, <laughs> into something that's like, okay, wow, there's like a lot of uh, sport fishing factors to this that a lot of people don't consider because they're they're on a kayak, they're on this, and there's a lot of limiting factors that don't let them experience another way of looking and fishing for these snakeheads. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing too, is I, I feel like if, if somebody actually goes and does it, you're, you're like, you have a 90% chance of success in, in, I don't know, changing the mind because at the end of the day, people can talk about all oh, conservation and it's just not right to go chase them. And then I don't know, man, it's like, I just, I, I know what I experienced when I went up there to fish with them because you're in such a nice environment too, but the way that those things wake what well, it's just the ferocity, like the way that they wake on a lure, assuming you throw top water. I feel like that's the easy sell. If you're going to take somebody out there to really right. try to win them over, get them on a, on a top water, like snakehead bite. And I don't know, man, it's like you get one of those things to wake out from the pads and smoke a frog off the top of the water. You've won them over right there. So no. I know this is life changing for me the first time that happened, and I I brought people out with me, and they've had that frog yeah. getting pushed back on them. It's, like, it's almost <laughs> like a tidal wave when they're put when they're charging on that frog. And, I mean, that's life changing right there. I don't know many fishing experiences in freshwater where you can find that. Yeah, no, no, I I don't either. I think there's not a lot of fish in freshwater that rival. I don't know. I and the other thing, like the element of it that I like so much is like while sometimes they are kind of grouped together, you still it's like it's one of those styles of fishing where you have to be really proactive and like I don't know, man. You it's it's you feel like you're hunting, like searching for the fish. So it's like it's a Absolutely. lot more it's a lot more exciting because like the whole entire time you're like engaged in the process. Like you're, you're like specifically like looking for certain features. Like, I don't know. It's, uh, I've heard a lot of guys. That you're do looking it. for that little ripple on the, yeah. on the pad. So I think to guys that like favor that style of fishing, I feel like the bass fishermen, a lot of times might be the first ones to give pushback on snakeheads. I also feel like they're going to be the easiest ones to win over. If you just get them in front of the fish, because it's like, they, they, they check all the boxes that you look for when you're going to like have a fun day chasing bass in a similar way, they do all the same crap. So it's kind of interesting there, but honestly, I've, I've fished with a lot of guys that are almost exclusively bass fishermen and I brought them out with me and it, there's an adventure aspect to it that yeah. a lot of people tend to forget. I mean, you're, they've been, haven't really been around for a long time. So in a sense, you're like, um, like a pioneer of the, the fish. Mm -hmm. So you got to go out there and figure out what's working. You you know, you can't go on YouTube all the time and be like, okay, so this condition and this condition and that happens. Where should yeah. I throw? Where should I throw? And that's not on YouTube. You do that for bath. You search the same things and then you're going to have like a thousand YouTube videos trying to help you out. But there's none of that for snakehead. So you kind of pitch that idea to people too. And they're like, oh shoot. Like I'm like the, I got to figure this out on my own. I got to yeah. think for myself. This is kind of crazy. Kind of cool. I like that you mentioned that. I, I've had a couple of guys on here talking about totally different species. Like it's always those obscure fish for me that have like interest me more than, than, and I love to go bass fishing all the same. I, I, I chase, you know, popular sport fish the exact same way, but 
It's funny you mentioned that. It's, I, that's always been kind of where my interest lies in a lot of these different species of fish is that there's such a lack of information resources online. You can't just get on there and like research how to do it. You have to go figure it out for yourself. Whereas like with a largemouth bass, I mean, it's information overload. Like how do I catch largemouth bass in 45 degrees of you know water and yada, yada, yada. There's like a billion types of like, uh, you know, sources of tips and techniques and products and things that you can use. Whereas other stuff's like, you, you're going to have to get out there and figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, to me, maybe it's the stubbornness in me again, but I, I like going out there. I like figuring it out for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I want to necessarily ask for help. Um, like, hey, where's uh, where the fish biting? What are you using? And even with snakehead, you're not going to find a whole lot about that. I mean, you're going to find the general consensus again. It's like, yeah, I was throwing frogs and they were biting. But it's like, that's not working today. So you can't go on uh, Reddit and find a thousand threads of what you would do for the conditions that you're given that day. You just got to go out. You got to look at your tackle box. You got to think critically and be like, oh, what I do? And yeah. On that front is where you start catching those big fish. So somebody like you, just to kind of dive a little more into the how-tos or the approach side of it, you know, because we can talk about the why you should all day long, and I think the snakehead needs that. It, it needs it needs people that are that have been there, done it, speaking on their behalf. Because I don't know, man, they got they have they're they were put into such a deep hole during those Frankenfish days that it's like it's going to take them ages to climb out of it they may never climb all the way out of it i think that they i think having a name like snakehead in america probably doesn't help because people put a lot behind a name unfortunately it just people are scared of snakes unfortunately i think you're right people are spooky and spooked out and freaked out by the idea of a snake anyway but um but to talk about the actual catching of the fish, somebody like you who goes out, let's say in your boat, I don't know, we, I think we've already established, you know, you're looking for heavy vegetation. Maybe you favor overcast conditions or low light conditions, I don't know, a dropping tide, a low tide. If you have, I don't know, let's say four rods in your boat, five rods in your boat, yeah. how, mm-hmm. how is each one kind of like, what does your gear look like? Like the line class, are you running braid? Do you have, do you need a leader? Cause they have teeth. Like what, what is like this typical setup? And do you have like a set number of different things you're throwing when you're searching for what they want to eat? Like what, what is, I don't know, top five lure choices and your like gear and tackle rod and reel look like? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so typically how I run it is I'm so just for, um, set the stage a little bit, I'm standing on top of my cooler. I'm sight fishing. So I got one rod in my hand. And then I have a rod rack right behind me. So I have three easily accessible rods as well. Mm-hmm. So in my hand, I'm usually have a, a search bait of some kind, whether that's um, uh, a frog usually is what it is. Um, so that's something that I can just burn ground and pound. I don't have to twitch it. I don't, I don't have to do nothing. Whether that's like a ribbit toad or like a, a tackle frog, you know, something that I can just ground and pound. Um, I got that on my Daiwa 200 with, I think I got 50 pound power pro on that. Um, just straight braid. Yeah. I'm not running. Did, a did you say, on top uh, water. did you say 50 pound or 15? 50. <laughs> yeah, 50. 50. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For top water. And why do you, you need some heavy ass some line? Heavy hydrilla, some heavy vegetation. Okay. To yank them out of the vegetation. Yeah. yeah I mean, you got a muscle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Um, 
another part of it is they just, they got teeth and it sometimes even with the 50 pound line, they're going to choke your frog and you're, they're going to snap 50 pound braid. Like it was nothing. And that's yeah. just the name of the game. Sometimes a lot of people like throwing heavier stuff. I don't think you can cast as far with it. I don't think it's mm. as smooth. So I found that 50 pound braid is about is the least that I will go. And I don't like pushing it too much with heavier stuff, like 65 or 70. I, to me, that's like, I'm just throwing around like twine at that point. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll do that on a heavy power rod. But yeah. With like a Daiwa 200, something with some, some drag behind it. Cause you do have to muscle these fish out. And if you get like a 14 pound snakehead on the other end, it's not really going to play games with you. You want to have a little bit of beef on your end. Cool. 14 pounds. I guess, I guess that makes me want to ask. So what's the biggest one you've managed to catch so far? The ones in your Instagram look like monsters. Well, what kind of personal best are we talking here? So the last few years, I've broken it every year. I'm looking at my phone right now. Yeah, this year I got a 14 and a half pounder. God. Which was. What is the length yeah, on something was, like that? Like 35 inches? I don't know, like a heavy bodied fish. I mean, I, the longest one I caught was probably like 36 inches. But this one was yeah. actually just stout. It was just stout and a yeah. big old fatty. This one was like only like 33, which I mean, it's still, I say only 33. I mean, that's still a big that's a fish. That's a thick fish. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes they're super, super long, like 35 inches, but they're only like 10 pounds. Um, a lot of the times I found like the 33, 34 ones that are just thick as anything mm -hmm. are the most fun. But yeah, been, we've been lucky to put a lot of big fish on the boat this last few years. Um, I think a lot of that has, areas has to do with it as well. Are they like the bullseyes where the male is actually the bigger one? I, I don't remember if they're like that. It's like it's everything with them is like backwards. Or is the female the bigger one with the with the bull uh, with the uh, northern snake? I guess it doesn't matter. It's not like you're sticking your finger up their butt to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i think if i remember correctly the, the males are big and um that's uh i guess uncommon in the uh, animal kingdom i think I, I don't know if that's quotable well it's, <laughs> it's with mammals yeah, that's males the case but with, yeah, not like you would have really ever yeah. known. with fish it's usually not that way at least not in north america but then like all the exotic fish seem like they get that like down here that's how it is like the peacock bass it's the male that's bigger. Like with the bullseye snake, it's the male that's bigger. It's just weird. Yeah, you and I think of... it's the same thing over here. But look, but you, you can't really tell when you're looking at them whether one's a male or not. I mean, for at least from what I've seen, males are darker. But that's about that's about it. Yeah, it was interesting. I was kind of curious what kind of like stuff you're throwing at them because I know you're contending with the weeds. Maybe you have to make long casts. They have the teeth. But I wouldn't necessarily think you'd need a leader because I don't know yeah. if their teeth are, are are there. I don't know if their teeth are made for cutting. But then you see those images of them biting chunks out of stuff. So I don't really know. It's a crazy thing. So I throw a leader, and a lot of people hate that I throw a leader. I always get a lot of kickback on that for subsurface lures, whether that's spinner baits, shatter baits, um, anything subsurface. I'm throwing a leader on that. I think for me, it's just a confidence thing as well as um, a pressure thing. I think as more pressure is imposed upon these fish you have to give yourself those little edges that are going to like, set you like apart what kind of leader people. like fluorocarbon like what is what are you putting on yeah. there yeah I'm, I'm throwing 25 pound fluorocarbon um it's a little bit heavier but i find that it's you know i don't i don't like pushing it on big fish this is the same i'm just gonna die 
into that hydrilla. Sometimes those teeth are real sharp. Yeah. So I run with 25 pound fluorocarbon on all my subsurface. Everything. Because yeah, I didn't yeah, know... I get a lot of pushback on that. I really do. People hate it. <laughs> like, oh, you just I don't know. I don't understand. I, I don't understand what the issue there would be, but I, I'm, I don't know how like line weary they are. If they, like what I don't know what their vision's really like. All I know is like my experience with them was like the, the damn things were missing the lure so bad. And they mean my nerves are terrible with like topwater fishing. If they hit yeah. five feet behind my frog, I'm still setting the hook. Like, <laughs> but uh, I was like, why are they missing so much? Yeah, and that's a yeah. But uh, I, I think their vision is it, it's not great, but you know, for me, I think the fluorocarbon, if anything, is just confidence and just something small to set you apart from every other mm-hmm. fisherman that's going out to specifically target snakehead. You know, if they're seeing braid and chat baits all day i'm gonna throw something a little bit different well i do similar with bowfin and bowfin have horrible eyesight well at least i don't know if their eyesight's bad or if they just don't care they don't give a damn what your line looks (laughs) like i find that they just don't freaking care yeah i don't think they i think they just don't give a crap but i also know their teeth aren't like i hear people say i use steel leaders i'm like that is so unnecessary and that's only going to result in more that's like but uh but you know they have teeth similar but um, what I do with bowfin, and I don't know, I think uh, I I do actually the same thing with the with our bullseye snakeheads. I'll use a leader. It's the same thing. It's just added confidence of like a hundred and fifty pound braided line. So it's just thicker braid. People are like, why are you yeah. using a hundred fifty right, pound right. line? I'm like, I'm just adding a little bit of extra something, you know, in the off chance their teeth shear the line a little bit. But um, you know. It's interesting. It's, I, I don't think their teeth are really made for cutting so much as, I don't know, holding or they're like peg-like teeth. But um, anyway. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not for cutting, but they, I mean, they're sharp and they they will cut your line undoubtedly. And, you know, sometimes the, the smaller ones are the ones that are going to cut your line the most because those teeth are just, they're primed up. They're ready. The older they get, the more dull they the yeah. teeth get. And find those little ones, man, it'll take your dog and then it's like, two pound fish just broke yeah. you <laughs> well this is all like an opinion based type of question so you can kind of go wherever you want with it but i'm always curious like where do you think that these fish are headed like do they stand a chance in ever like garnering acceptance i wouldn't say like you, they're never going to be a hundred percent accepted i don't think but you, you think we're ever going to see a day where they're considered something to go chase like by and large as I don't know. Like, do you think they're going to garner acceptance? Like, where do you think that this perception of these fish is headed? Is it going so, somewhere? Is it I mean, is I'm, it moving in a positive direction? I think right now, if they stay contained where they are, we can move in a positive direction. But I think if, as, if they keep proliferating in other places and new environments that they're not used to, we're going to have the same kind of perception that we had in the early 2000s where it's frankenfish all over again, but in the cypress swamps of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unfortunately, it's probably going to take a long time for them to get a little bit of a positive reaction from the public just for that reason, because they're going to keep proliferating to other areas of the country. Yeah. And it's going to shock people. And then it's going to take another 15 years to like gain their confidence back. But I think at some point, there will be a little bit of a shift in narrative. When that point is, I mean, I'd hope it's next week, but realistically, it's probably going to be um, 
uh, a while down the road, unfortunately. I just think they have such a large uh, hill or mountain, I guess you could say, to climb, unfortunately, from where they were. I mean, it just got such a bad rap that I don't think is deserved. But that's just my opinion. I, I think the rest of the country probably feels a little bit differently where they don't have snakeheads. Yeah. And all they see is the perception of them online, unfortunately. So until well, people can really start experiencing them themselves, I think that it's it's going to be tough. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think they're anywhere near a point where, at least not nationally, they'll be accepted like that. Uh, it, you're probably right. I think every time some jackass takes one and moves it, and it creates that little like explosion, that little mini like flare up of emotions. Um, you know, it almost it it sets the ticker back, but I think it's setting up. I think it's setting back an inevitable acceptance of the of the fish. I think I think their acceptance will will always be similar like that of a like a common carp. I, where I think that they could actually overtake even the perception of a carp, though. I mean, carp have been here since like the seventeen hundreds. And people still think they're this out of control, non-native fish, but people don't that the typical angler is not trying to catch carp because it's like a bait, you know, it's a sucker faced fish that, you know, you catch using baits. Whereas this yeah, is like one, not a wow factor to it. Yeah. It's, it's not one of those fish you can go out and throw lures at. That's like a little bit of an easier sell, but I don't know, man. It's like, that's an interesting one. It'll be fun to watch how that unfolds. I just feel like in your area, like in Virginia and Maryland and some of those areas, like they're like a microcosm for what everything else will eventually be. It's like you see the initial shock, but these groups that are growing and growing and growing and growing, I think it just speaks to what it's going to be like everywhere else. I mean, I've heard about them showing up in some parts in Arkansas, some of them in the Carolinas, some of them have showed up in the Carolinas and then disappeared. It's like they're so it's like they're showing up. People are I don't know maybe put them there and then they they're not they're not taking to the environment or something's happening they're dying off but yeah I've I don't no, know I've noticed that too I heard about the Carolinas maybe like a few years ago but I haven't heard anything since so yeah there was some you know like maybe in, maybe Lake Wiley I don't remember where it was in North Carolina supposedly they found one or they saw a couple and then like they haven't seen or heard of him since it's like maybe they didn't make it but um, anyway yeah maybe not but, I mean I communities that snakeheads currently are i mean there's a great love for them there's a lot of people who hated them 10 years ago love the hell out of them now and so places that they are established i mean they, there's a big growing popularity of them which i, I like to see i mean it, it, there's a lot more pressure on the water but yeah <laughs> i do like seeing these fish get a little bit of support, which is very nice and you know from people who I saw hating on them a few years ago. Like, you know what? These things aren't so bad. So that's really cool to see the yeah. progress that they've had over the years and the areas that they established. Yeah. Well, the one that makes me laugh is when you see the people that hate the snakeheads from like a conservation angle. We got to protect our environment. These damn things are eating up all the bass. Well, those are the same people. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, so should we, uh, you know, those are the same people that are bitching, complain, and stomp and kill something like a gar or a bowfin. Like, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to protect the native fish. So it's like, you can't have it both ways. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But uh, it's a funny thing. But, uh, you know, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on here to talk about the northern snakehead is because you're one of the guys that has also come down. And this is sort of a recent thing. We talked about it earlier. You've also come down and chased the bullseye snakeheads. 
So I always got to ask like, what, what compare and contrast those two fish, because I think it's such an interesting contrast. I mean, it's similar in some ways, but it's like, I don't know, just what was your impression of our bullseye snakeheads and like what you got to do to chase them? Well, the first thing that doing some research on a bullseye I thought was really cool was they they can't be in cold environments, whereas the northern snakehead needs a little bit of a like a cold period so that they can collect themselves. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I had the pleasure of going out with um, Cat Merrick down there, Flow Bass. He really put us on, and it you know it's similar in a lot of ways the way that you fish for them. You know, you're hitting the banks, you're hitting shallow areas. Um, what's interesting down in Florida canals is, you know, you maybe only have like two feet of shallow air, uh, area where they're staging at before it drops off in the canal. Mm-hmm. So your your strike window is like pretty small, which I thought was cool. Um, and they, they fight like hell down there. Like yeah. <laughs> once it's a bullseye, you get them on the end of your line and they get into the deeper parts of the canal. I mean, they're taking dives, they're going back and forth. That was really cool. Um, as compared to Northern, it's hard to say. They're both very different. Like a Northern will smash the living hell out of your lure. A lot harder than a bullseye will. Mm-hmm. But I think because they live in the water where it's like two feet, but it's two feet everywhere. They don't really have a whole lot of room to make those deep dives and yeah. go back and forth. And there's all like drillas. So I think they have that going against them from like a, a fight standpoint. But before all that hydrilla and all that stuff comes in, I mean, I, you'll catch some fish, some big ones. I'll just peel drag. Go get you get them to the boat. The peel drag again. Get them to the boat. Peel drag again. And, and I think that's really cool about them. But once that hydrilla comes in, it makes it really hard to like get that sort of fight out of them. Yeah, yeah, I've seen similar too with the with. I don't know. It's some of those really really small like super shallow canals. You're right. They just don't like with regards to the bullseyes. They just don't have the leeway to do everything that they're capable of. But um, yeah, it seems more like when they, when the bullseyes hit, it's like, it's more like a toilet flush. It's like, and like goes under. Whereas I've only caught a few uh, of the uh, Northern snakeheads, but they, yeah, they seem like they crash the surface of the water a little bit more, but it seems like when a bullseye snakehead really wants to eat the frog, they, they just don't miss. That's the only thing I noticed. The only big difference is like, they just don't seem to, I mean, I was missing those freaking northern snakehead like crazy, but the bullseyes, when when they want it, it's going to die. But anyway, unless it's a small one, then they just bite the legs off your frogs. Yeah, when when they want a lure, I mean, it's unbelievable the extent they'll go to get that lure. I mean, is there's like a tidal wave sometimes behind your frog, and then when they they crush it right at your feet, I mean, they're spraying water in the boat. Oh, your pants are all <laughs> all wet because you peed yourself. Yeah. And you got, <laughs> got uh the fish splash water on you i mean it's a great time they really when they want it they really want it bad and i love that about the northerns i mean you can't get that out of a largemouth bass yeah i don't know man i I think that has probably been one of the fish that i've tried to like encourage other guys that i talk to like the guys that i talk to real consistently that are always like traveling around the country chasing different fish i'm always trying to push them like dude you've got to go after these northern snakeheads it gets such a unique i don't know man like and i've struggled to catch them almost every time i've gone but like that's been some of the funnest stuff the trips that i've come up there to do that have been as fun or more fun than some like the real big targets that i've gone after 
around the country. Like I, I just, I think if I was up there where you're at, I'd probably be like you. I'd just be chasing them damn snakeheads all the time. I'd end up not fishing for much else. But um, I don't know. I, I just think. Yeah, I mean, the adrenaline factor is uh, there's just nothing qu- really quite like it around here. And the uh, areas that the fish will take you to are just the remote, some of the remotest yeah. parts of the state. That, I think that's what I really, really enjoyed. Area. Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed. Like this last time I was out there with Grant and with Josh, it was like there's like bald eagles flying around. Like there's like these big cliffs at this one place we were at. I'm like, this is so awesome. Yeah. Like the, I'm so used, you know, I, I, I love it here in Florida. But seeing all the development and all like, you know, everything south of Lake Okeechobee is just canals and water management systems and just nothing looks natural anymore. So it's like every time I go somewhere that looks natural, um, I always love it. So like, man, them freaking northern snakeheads. I can't get enough of that. I love our bullseye snakeheads. I think there's a there's a fun element behind the grunge in the pursuit of them. I don't know. It's just like a kind of a fun edge. To chasing them that you're like parking behind. It's a little grimy sometimes. Yeah, you're like dodging crackheads <laughs> and like parking behind McDonald's to go chase them. It's, yeah, there's like yeah. I don't know the guerrilla warfare element of it is kind of cool to a point, but uh, I'm definitely much more into, uh, you know, I'm much more into a situation where I can look up and see like white-tailed deer and eagles over, you know, an iguana and a crackhead. So, <laughs> and not seeing other fishermen all day. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're going yeah, to see all kinds of You're to make it down again this summer. Yeah. It's freaking cool. But um, at the same time, I don't know. We, we've talked a lot about it. We've discussed 14 pounders and uh, in, in, in the in the scenery and some of the fish that you catch. But uh, let's say, you know, anybody who is interested in seeing what we've been talking about, where can they go to find you on, I don't know. Uh, social media, anywhere, things where they can go to see the stuff that you're doing. Instagram account. I don't know if you do YouTube, things like that. Yeah, I don't do YouTube, but I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram at uh, VA underscore snakehead. Um, yeah, anyone is feel free to ask me some questions about, you know, if you want to get started, I'm not going to spot burn myself or anybody yeah. else. So I might not do that, but I'll give you, I'll point you in the right directions. I, I'm happy to help people out. I'm not, I'm not going to give you everything on a silver platter, but you know, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll point people in the right direction. So I'm happy. To, I, and you're you know, not like guiding or anything like that, are you? No, I'm not. You know, that's something that I play around with in the future. But right now, I, I don't want to put like a monetary price on it. Yeah. Kind of just enjoy it. And uh, I got to be, like gotta be careful platter. with that, too. People will be like, well, I'm just going to pay for his spots. So. <laughs> right. And I'm not quite ready at that spot or at a point in my life where I want to put a price on the places that I go. And uh, my friends that I go out with, you know, so as now, no, but yeah, shoot me a DM anybody and I'll, I'll, I'm happy to help you out. Yeah, man. Well, Justin, I appreciate you coming on here. I, and I, again, I mean, you, you've got, you know, I don't know, this little platform to continue to promote the fish. I think you do a really good job. I think the easiest way to promote them is what you're already doing on Instagram. Cause the photos of the fish, <laughs> they're like badass. Like anybody who hates the fish is going to have a real yeah, hard, in, you, they're going to have a real hard internal struggle with what they think is right. And with what I think their desire as an angler is, is going to, I know that little devil on the shoulder is going to be whispering real hard when they start seeing some of the photos you have. I'm like, shit. Like this one. <laughs> I know. I was like, damn, and maybe, you know, what? why am I holding out on this? It's, it is an inevitable thing. Again, the fish are going nowhere. 
get in while it's getting good because they're only getting pressured more. More and more people are jumping on the train, and the fish are going to become harder and harder to come by. And I just got, I don't know, man. I can't encourage people enough. Check out your stuff. Block off a long weekend on the calendar because I've made the trips. It is badass. It looks like some of the funnest kind of fishing that you can do. If you like an active approach, like if you like going out and slinging lures and working and then like it, the payoff when the fish well, this, this blasts, like it's a very visual game. Like it, like you're very much in it. Um, high intensity strikes from the fish. It's, I don't know, dude, there's, there's nothing I would compare it maybe to like, snook fishing around mangroves uh in fresh water but it's like this gnarly looking badass fish. Yeah, yeah that's a great way to look at it <laughs> that's gonna be my yeah it's, it's about the closest i can think but um anyway well man i appreciate you coming on here uh i've been looking forward to talking to you for a while because i love seeing your snakehead stuff it, it's freaking it's clear that you've been eaten up by it i think i'd be in the same boat if i was up there you know and i've been coming to virginia uh, semi consistently, so maybe next time I make a trip, I'll give you a holler and let you know. We can, we can, yeah, all man, shoot me a text up. and we'll link up. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, Justin, I appreciate yeah, your time. Me on. I really appreciate I'm gonna take some of that time off, man. We'll get on them for sure, dude. All right, Justin, we'll catch you later. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswilltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.